For the past 48 hours, demonstrators have practiced what organizers say hundreds will do if or when U.S. immigration attempts to remove Elian Gonzalez from this community. Good morning. Finally, a president-elect. George W. Bush will become the 43rd president of the United States. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, it's that all-important time once again. That's right, time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro. Joining me as always, the one, the only, Chris Sinzak. Unless there's another Chris Sinzak somewhere else. But I, I doubt, doubt it. it. I, highly doubt it. <laughs> Maybe highly in Poland. Doubt it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're uh, back this week for a uh, well part two of our 2000 year in review special and 2000 uh, part two. You guys dared us when I teased it. You know, could you really come up with a handful of good songs out of 2000? I think we've gone above and beyond proving. Yes. Come that on. There was good music released. Not everyone was buying it, but there was good music released. This is us you're talking about here. If there's good music to be found, the Decibel Geek podcast will find it. We'll get our shovel out. That's right. And want to do a quick shout-out to uh, Wally and the crew over at the website. Those guys are killing it. You know, and I just want to let people know, if you're looking for the latest news, the, the latest happenings in rock and roll, well, you can go to Brave Words or you can go to Blabbermouth. Yeah. But if you want to hear some cool stories about people that love rock and roll that are out there getting interviews with the people they admire and just telling cool-ass stories... Well, our website is the place to be, and that's www.dbblogspotshit. The record Shit. is intact. You still haven't gotten it right. I messed it up again. Chris, what's the website? All right, from now on, I'm taking over this part of the Okay, news. all right, let's make a deal right now. From okay. now on, I will intro the shows. Okay. You take care of all the technical stuff. Like That'll the, work. Uh, the website names, the Facebook, and all the other stuff I can't remember. Okay, I'll do the plugs. You do the uh, the... You're the, you're the hype guy. Fair enough. Okay. It's dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. All kinds of cool stuff going on in the website right now. And what's sad is every week I, we do these like mm-hmm. really intense notes and stuff, and I never put the address on it, so it's partially my fault. It is your fault. If I could just read it, but I yeah. wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> the writers for the site are doing great. Wally's doing a good job heading them up. I want to give a special recognition to uh, Cynthia Davis, who is a, a writer for the site, and she got she landed a really great interview with Audie Desbro from Great White, and it, it's her first big score. So, you know, congratulations, Cynthia. I know uh, our listeners and our readers will really enjoy that. It's very cool, and if you remember back not too long ago, we talked to Jack Russell, so now you can get the uh, point-counterpoint on that with Cynthia's interview. That's right. Jack told us about how Audie almost set himself on fire <laughs> during the recording <laughs> yeah, of Psycho right. City. So, yeah, that, so uh, congratulations, Cynthia, and uh, good job. And yeah, uh, Keep up the good work. You guys are work. kicking ass. That's right. Uh, Geek of the Week this week, Brad Kalmanson from Hackensack, New Jersey. He is a, a great uh, poster on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash decibelgeek. He's always posting really good feedback about the shows, about the articles, and he even um, he has sent us a suggestion. And I know it's been a while, Brad, since it will come. We are going to do a uh, topic that you suggested to us, and it's a really outside-the-box 
cool. And all I'll say is it's a Black Sabbath related topic. And it's a tough one, but we're we're prepared to tackle it. We're gonna do it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's gonna be a really cool show. So, so we uh, wanna let you guys know that, you know, you can get in on the Facebook action too. You know, just go to our page, like it, and get in on the conversation. We'll even steal your ideas. That's right. Maybe Hell yeah, we, will. we might even give you credit for them. Maybe. So uh, <laughs> time to uh, fire up the flux capacitor, right? I think so. Let's kick it back to the year 2000. We're going to go back. We're going to go to the second half of 2000, starting in July. And we've got a few more facts from 2000 we want to lay on you, Aaron. Well, let's see. What do we got going on that year? Microsoft releases Windows 2000, AOL, and Time Warner merge. Yep. Um, 51 million viewers watched the first season finale of the reality show Survivor. Big year for reality shows. That was the same year Big Brother came out. Yeah. I hate those shows. I, I hate them all. I, I kind of dug Survivor for about two years, and then I was like, nah. I'm the only the reality shows I like are the ones where they put celebrities in there. Oh really? Those are the only ones I like. Like the surreal you know? life. Like and, like yeah. that first like the first surreal life that had Vince Neil on it. That was funny. Give me a show where I can cheer for somebody. Yeah, where else you know? are you gonna where, where else are you gonna get to watch Vince Neil and uh Corey Feldman hang out together? Hey. And Webster. Don't forget, who won that show? Who did win that Vince show? Vince Neil. Oh, did he win that yeah, one? he did. Did CC DeVille win his? Oh wait, no, I got it backwards. C did CC win? He was on a different year though. Whoever it was on the very first one. I don't the rock star one. I think it was Vince. I'm 99% sure Vince won. I don't know about CC. I don't know if Vince remembers, but you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the reality thing was big. Also, the Elian Gonzalez Cuban American custody battle. Oh man, that was huge. Everyone was caught up in that story. And I remember that. I didn't give a shit about it, but a lot of well, people I did. I didn't really either, but it, everyone, it was huge. And then, like, the whole famous picture of the guy coming in with the gun and uh, you know the kid screaming right because the kid was from cuba right yeah and he floated and, over and he floated over and was adopted yeah. correct and then later on the you know biological father in cuba wanted his kid back and it was like disputed whether does this kid really want to go back to cuba and it right. became more than just what it was it became a question of you know do you inter intercede when you know the life here is better yeah you know, it became a lot more than what it was, but he ended up back in Cuba, I believe. I think so. Yeah, I don't even remember how it ended. I kind of tuned out. I was. But will, nobody cares about how it ends, just as long as yeah, it's a big story it was a at big the story. time. I remember yeah. that, but I, there, I, I'll be honest. There wasn't a, there isn't a ton of stuff I remember from 2000 because I was not in my right <laughs> mind that year. As clean of a, of a life as I have now, it was the exact opposite around 2000. Yeah, you're making up for it now. Yeah, I was... Uh, or paying for it. I am paying for it now. I've got the body of an 80-year-old. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, I partied quite a bit around this time, so there's not a lot I remember. So hazy hazy memories. I partied a lot back then, too, but I was working on radio in central Wisconsin at that time, so yeah. you know, I partied for free a lot, but I couldn't party too hard because I still had to go on the air the next exactly. day. Exactly. All right, well, going into July... Uh, Let's see. The music news story happened outside the Democratic National Convention in L.A. Uh, Rage Against the Machine did a free concert protesting the two-party system. Amen to that. In a chaotic scene after the performance, police forcibly dispersed the crowd. Several arrests were made. And it's still pretty much a two-party system as we're getting ready to go into another election. Rage Against the Machine, they tried. They tried. Yeah, it's totally. I mean... I could, we could turn this into a whole political discussion, uh, so let's just that. stop right that there. That might be a bonus. Let's just right. stop right there. We'll let's, save that for SoundCloud someday, maybe. Yeah, let's let's get into the music. You're going to go ahead and enter the first tune. Right, yeah. My first pick from the year 2000 is a band 
I'm betting a lot of people probably haven't heard of. It's a band that was formed in 1992 in Florida. At about the same time, Marilyn Manson was putting his band together. So these two kind of came up together, but this band didn't make it nearly as big as Marilyn Manson did. Known for three female members and sometimes former Marilyn Manson guitarist and co-founder Daisy Berkowitz. The band lasted eight years. This is their second and final studio album in the year 2000. It's different, but I think you're going to like it. It's Jack Off Jill. Yeah, it's a song called Cinnamon Spider, and it's off their 2000 CD, Clear Hearts, Gray Flowers, a band called Jack Off Jill. They're gone. Yeah, the first time I've ever heard that song. Yeah? See, yeah. I didn't think a lot of people would have heard that. A uh, friend of mine turned me on to it, and he was a, he's a Marilyn Manson fan, so that's how he knows about Jack Off Jill. But they toured a lot together, especially yeah. in the early days of Marilyn Manson. But, you know, they would have... Uh, Guys from the Marilyn Manson band, like I said, Daisy Berkowitz was a big had a big hand in them, and uh, you know Trent Reznor, and they really tried to bring them along, but they just never really caught on. That's interesting. I you know I I love the band name, but um, yeah, I do. Isn't that great? They, they, cool know, name, Jack Off Jill. Interesting band, kind of ahead of their time. I could hear something like that going over well today. I think so. I really could. Um, let's gonna go for something that was pretty new then to a band that certainly had uh, put out plenty of material up to this point. UFO came out with Covenant uh, on July twenty fifth. That's like their fifteenth studio something album. Something like it? that. Yeah, they, they put out a lot. This is Eddie Trunk's favorite band, if you don't know. Yeah. And uh, hearing him constantly bang the ufo drum over the years so to say i finally started checking out their catalog and i like this album it's pretty good especially for you know what's considered a heritage band you know but um i was gonna play a little bit of this track here this is a song called fool's gold
Aaron, you like that guitar solo? I do like that. I like it a lot. You know who that is playing the guitar solo? I do. It's Michael Schenker. <laughs> you know, it's funny. In my notes, I actually wrote it out. S-C-H-E-N dash K-E-R. For so the, I wouldn't mess it up this time. <laughs> for those of you on the Facebook page that like to point out how Aaron messes names uh-huh. up. So, yeah, that was uh, UFO with Michael Schenker. Pretty ripping guitar Schenker solo. actually releases a solo album in 2000 also. That's yeah. a, all instrumental. A busy year for him. Busy year for Michael Schenker. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Well, speaking of one band that that actually didn't have a key member that year, Motley Crue came out with New Tattoo. Yeah, eighth studio album from Motley Crue, follow-up to 1997's Generation Swine. And you think about the lineup of albums, think about the discography. It goes from, from uh, Dr. Feelgood to Generation Swine to 2000 yeah. in their release of New Tattoo. Very different albums. In the middle. The yeah. middle one's very different. Yeah, Generation yeah. Swine was an oddball album for Motley Crue. They wanted this one produced more like Dr. Feelgood, and man, it shows. Check this one out. Here's a track off New Tattoo from the year 2000. This one's called Fake. Sounds like a little shot at Electra Records in that song. I don't know if it was that or a shot at Pamela Anderson's tits. <laughs> nice. Uh, and they say your sense of humor is dry. I, I love know. It. Yeah. No. Yeah. Motley Crue ends their 17-year relationship with Electra and ends up forming their own Motley Records with this one. The first and only Motley Crue album not to feature Tommy Lee on drums. Tommy Lee is all and, kinds of screwed up at this time. And in my opinion, it shows. I, Randy Castillo's good, but I, I, I could tell it was missing something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I really like Randy Castillo. I mean, he played with Ozzy. I mean, come on. No, like I said, good drummer, but Motley, something about Tommy Lee's playing brings a certain swagger to their He's sound. got a little more boom to it yeah. than most drummers, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, then, of course, uh, Randy Castillo from Ozzy joins up with Motley Crue for this one. Tommy Lee's actually in jail for, uh, as we, I think we mentioned at a past show, that he uh, beat the hell out of a photographer yeah. taking pictures of him and Pam outside of a club in Los Angeles. He gets time for that. While he's in prison, he decides he's going to quit Motley Crue and form the greatest band ever formed. Mom. Mom. Yeah. Methods of man. <laughs> well... It was probably a good idea at the time, he thought. Yeah. But no, he'll end up back in Motley Crue in just a few short years. This album, you know, what can I say about New Tattoo? No, it don't have Tommy Lee on it, but it's got the other three guys, and it's it really is, you know, the true follow-up to Dr. Feelgood, I think. The only thing missing is Tommy Lee. It was the closest in sound to what they where they left off. It's a really that. good album. I, I recommend I it to any that. Motley Crue fans. If you haven't heard it, if you're a fan of that type of music, if you like Dr. Feelgood, 
you'll like new tattoos. I saw them on that tour. And, yeah, and it was had let, the girl drumming, right? Yeah, Samantha Maloney. Yeah, from but Hull. you you wouldn't know it because it was like okay, we're gonna have three quarters of the band be at let's say thirty let's say thirty decibels, and then we're gonna put Mick Mars at three thousand decibels. Huh. All I heard was Mick Mars's lead guitar playing ringing in my ears. It was. Not that that's a bad thing, right? But Scorpions opened up for him, and honestly, Scorpions blew him right off the stage. Yeah, it wasn't even close. I like Molly Crew, but there was no contest there. Yeah, the reason they had Samantha Maloney drumming is because uh, Randy Castillo would leave the band right after the recording of the album. He got sick. Yeah, and it was some pretty serious stuff. And sadly, uh, Randy would succumb to that illness in 2002. He did. Also in uh, 2000, uh, Rob Halford came out with a the Halford Band album. This is a good album. Resurrection. Really good album. And it was it was very hard to pick just one tune off of here, but I wanted to go ahead and pick one where you've got um, you know legendary worlds colliding here. This is a a track called the one you love to hate, and this features this is cool. Rob Halford and Bruce Dickinson co-written. Man, it don't get much more metal than that. That is metal right there. Rob Helford and Bruce Dickinson on the same track. Some awesome production. Co-written song. Yeah, it's a really cool album. You know, at that point, uh, Helford's been out of Priest for about 10 years. He did the Fight Band in the 90s, which is really cool. That's a good album. And this is his solo follow-up to uh, 98's 2, Voyeurs. Yeah, Yeah, that one I didn't get into as much. Talk about the Masters mimicking Marilyn Manson in the year 2000. That was him being a follower, not a leader. Exactly. So this was a return to to Priest-like rock metal music. Very good album. Recommend this one to anybody, too. Definitely. All right, what do you got next? You know, in the year 2000, there's a whole lot of what they call new metal going on. And as far as I could tell and could still understand, new metal is kind of like a fusion between rap and metal. That's right. that's new metal to me. I mean, and not all the bands, just like you look at like what you want to, anybody wants to call hair bands, not all those bands that got lumped together deserve it. Right. But a lot of the bands in the 90s were doing the rap rock fusion thing. Here's a band, you know, and honestly, I don't know a whole lot about them. But this band is unique to other bands that are doing the rap rock fusion thing. Uh, formed in 94 in Huntington Beach, California. This is their second studio album. And it's the most mainstream success of their career at a big old high of 63 on the charts. <laughs> this was the hit single off there. Well, I don't know if you want to call it a hit, but it was a <laughs> single. This is Head P.E. with Bartender. I'm looking for trouble tonight. No, mama, don't trust me tonight. You be the beauty, baby. I'll be the beast. Give a fuck. Take it to the bedroom. Take it to the streets. Take it like a man, motherfucker. Your bitch chose me, motherfucker. I just 
Yeah, like I said, a lot of the new metal rap rock fusion going on in the year 2000, but head peas a little bit different. You know, they they really never caught on. I guess mm. it's one of those things when you got, you know, 50 new metal bands. Yeah. You can only pick so many. I think we'll get some angry comments about that track. <laughs> I'm sure, you know. But, uh, but we're not going to play Limp Bizkit. No, so uh, we yeah, got to we gotta, we gotta have some kind of representation s- of new metal, don't we? Right. I figured that was the best one. I saw what the, the uh, I saw Head P open, yeah? open for Corn in an arena show uh, around this time and uh, met their singer right by the backstage entrance. And I was just walking around because Orgy was on stage at the time, and I hated, I, I couldn't guys. stand them. Right. And uh, so I was just like, I'm going to walk around. And the singer for Head P.E. was there, and he was like signing people's tickets. So I was just like, what the hell? And he, he signed my ticket with just writing a star. Like, <laughs> Awfully high opinion of yourself there, buddy. And uh, and then I got to shake uh, Monkey from Korn's hand as he was on his way to the stage. Right so, on. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That's cool. That's my Head P.E. experience. Nice. Um, Another band that was similar in tone, but I thought highly talented group, what would be called not new metal, but math metal at the time. was, yeah. And they're, they're a lot more commercial now, but they weren't at this point. It was a band called Mudvayne. And they came out with LD50 in this year. And Mudvayne, if you know Mudvayne now, it is still technically good music, um, technically well-played music, but it's a lot more toned down. They don't have makeup or anything, but back then they had crazy right. makeup and outfits they and were, everything. They were heavy metal kiss. They really were. They had, yeah, because they had they had the four guys. They had the devil, the space clown, yeah, they did. Red cactus child and the ref <laughs> Red man. Cactus child. Red cactus child. Yeah, they were. They the were, ref man. They were really unique back then, and I, I actually I had this album and I used to spin it quite a bit. And this is my favorite track on the album. You've probably heard it in promos for the show. This is a song called Dig. Yeah, if you want an idea around what I was, that's what I was spinning at that time, and I was still playing in bands around that time, and that was the kind of stuff that I would listen to on the way to band practice. That and Machine Head, Fear Factory, that was what we were going for in the bands that I played in back in those days. So that's a trip down memory lane. That stuff was big in the year 2000. Like I said, working on radio, people used to request the shit out of that That, song. That song is awesome. That song should have been much bigger than it was. I mean, the whole thing's great. Like I said, we're going to get angry comments from some of you, but hey, you know, this is is our youth, you know. No matter what it is, you know, at the base of it, it's a good metal song. It is. So it fits what we're doing here. You know, we're tearing through the year 2000, man. We're already done with part one. We're halfway through part two. Sometimes we get going so fast (laughs) and so furious that I forget one or two. And this one, 
I, I, we don't want to bullshit nobody and pretend it came out in December or nothing. So we're going to be honest. This came out in April. It did. It came out in April. But we didn't want to. I really wanted to play it. it. You know, I really wanted to play it because it's a good band, and I think you guys dig it. Um, this one's pretty cool. It was recorded at Wireworld Studios right here in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, right outside Michael of Wagner. Nashville. Exactly. That's right. Our good friend. Um, this is a band we've I've, I've talked about them before. A band called Hair of the Dog. Growing up in Central Wisconsin. Well, I should say at this time working on radio actually. These guys, they're from down in the south somewhere. Yeah. And they would come to Wisconsin a lot of times along with Jackal yeah. and just ruled Central Wisconsin. I mean, when these guys were coming to town, it was a party. It was a big deal. And I've played the Hair of the Dog before. And what I played was on the, uh, was the Kiss, Kiss cover. was yeah. the Kiss covers show that we did a while back. I played the cover of I. Yeah. What a great cover song that to do. What a, what a great Kiss pick. Here's one for you that came out in 2000. This was off their album Rise. Check this out. I know you're going to dig it. It's called Color Me Fire. Obviously, you guys have toned down your private lives. Uh, do you still rock his heart? No. Listen to the Decibel Geek podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hi, this is Jakey e. Lee, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Doing part two of 2000's Year in Review, and we are up to September. Tearing through it. Just tearing through it. And uh, in September, Raise Against the Machines uh, bass player Tim Comerford was arrested on the set of the MTV Video Music Awards because he was climbing up the set. I guess out of protest because the band had lost the award for best rock video to Limp Biscuit. I'd be pissed was, too if I was in Rage Against the Machine. Anymore. No, he, he was raging against the biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, I would be pissed off too. And, totally, uh, that's a miscarriage of justice right there. I think. And it says 
the director of the video that Rage Against the Machine put out for Sleep Now in the Fire, the name was Michael Moore. I don't know if it's that Michael Moore. It probably was. Suggested, There's a million uh, Michael Moores in the world. He suggested that uh, Comerford was probably just bored by the show. Although I wouldn't have been bored during one part of the show where Britney Spears uh, performed Oops, I Did It Again wearing that oh, uh, skin-colored oh, costume. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Put that thing away. I, I couldn't hear her. I didn't want to hear her, but I could sure see her. Yeah. Well, you just watch it on view. That, that's that's what you call mass appeal right there, you yeah. know? Half mass the, appeal. Half the people like shitty music, and the other half love hot-looking women wearing skin-colored suits. Yeah, you can't. You lose. That's why she was so big in the year 2000. Makes sense now. Yeah, exactly. All right, there were also some uh, interesting movies released in 2000. Yeah, in the year 2000, the top five movies in America maybe even the world i think america uh number one mission impossible 2 we talked about that last time that awesome soundtrack they had that was totally representative of the year 2000 number two is gladiator love that movie that's an awesome movie uh number three castaway with yeah. tom hanks that's a good movie like uh number four what women want yeah I don't know. I've okay. never seen that. And number five, Disney's Dinosaur, which I don't really remember that one either. either. So in all honesty, the real best movie of the year 2000 yeah. was Little Nicky. Yeah, Little Nicky. Okie dokie. Adam Sandler's best movie had Ozzy in it. That's not his best movie. I think so. Uh, it was heavy metal. Ozzy bit a dude's head off at the end of it. And even that couldn't make the movie any good. <laughs> Bands you'd be surprised are still alive and kicking and putting out music in the year 2000. Uh, the Doobie Brothers come out with new music. Yep. Paul McCartney comes out with a new one. Lizzie Borden's out there still kicking it. He comes out with Deal with the Devil. Very good album. I almost picked something off there. Um, Johnny Cash, American 3, Solitary Man. Yep. Gotta love you some Johnny Cash, even though it's not metal. Yeah. Still got that feel. And uh, the Scorpions put out a new one in 2000. They did? What did they put out? An uh, album called Moment of Glory. Oh, yeah. They, that was the one with the uh, symphony orchestra. Why? Not Why really. do bands do that? They did it well, though. Uh, and it was before that was before it was as played well out. They, can, they might have been the first one to do it. I don't you think so. You know, of course, Kiss plays claim that they were the first, but even though there had been like four other bands that had done it. But they, they did it first. Though. Of course. Yeah, anyway, of course I'm not going to dog my favorite band. But anyway, um, I'll tell you who else put out an album that you may not realize was David Coverdale. Was this White Snake? Not or? a White Snake. This was a solo album huh. called Into the Light. And in all honesty, I'll admit it, I picked it up back in the day. And in all honesty, it's not that great. It's it's him trying to be a lot more soulful, and uh, you know, it's not it's not what you would expect out of White Snake. But I'll, I picked the closest thing you can get to the, a White Snake type sound off of that album for this show. All right. Just because we want to expose you to stuff you definitely didn't hear. I've never even I'll heard I'll be this. shocked if very many people other than me heard this. <laughs> so this is a song called Slave. You know I'm getting tired of back loving. What's that about? <laughs> you give me all our heart desires. Lord have mercy that I slipped and fell and I broke
close to the White Snake style. That's not bad, you know. Yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not by any means am I a big David Coverdale fan. I yeah. was never really big into White Snake or any of that, but uh, not bad. Not bad. I, not I do bad. wonder about the backdoor loving line. That is, kind <laughs> yeah, that is kind of and weird. Then, <laughs> and then he's talking about being someone's slave. Now, why am I picturing David Coverdale dressed up like a gimp all of a sudden? Because you're strange, man. Because so. you're strange and your mind works in funny ways. You thought the same thing. <laughs> all right. I did not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ah, Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, yeah, before we get to October, Suicidal Tendencies put out uh, Free Your Soul and Save Your Save Your Mind. I love the Suicidal Tendencies. I like their earlier stuff. I don't I this is a song I found researching for this show cuz I honestly didn't buy this album back in back in 2000, but um this was a really cool track and uh you know, Mike Mir and the guys still cranking out good music. So uh this is Suicidal Tendencies with Self Destruct. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I said, I like suicidal tendencies. Uh, Mike Muir, real busy guy that year. He actually came out with a infectious groove CD, Mas Baracho. Yeah, that one almost made my list too. In the year two thousand, um, technically, now technically, a suicidal tendency fan will tell you that was their last full length studio album. They've come out with EPs and singles and teamed up with other bands and put new music out and stuff. But yeah. that in two thousand was suicidal's. Last technical full-length album. Really? Yep. Well, you need to get back on it and do another record. Get on the case, Mike Muir. Damn it. Come on. Well, here's uh, news that I'm sure sent Tim Comerford like with putting a gun into his mouth or something. Uh, Limp Biscuit released Chocolate Starfish in the Hot Dog Flavored Water, a classy album title, (laughs) selling over a million copies in its first week of release, a new record for a rock album. What the hell's up with that title? I don't know. That is a goofy-ass album title. I mean, I get, you know, the joke of what a chocolate starfish is supposed to be. And, you know, we've all boiled hot dogs, and you wouldn't want to drink the water afterwards. (laughs) I don't... Well, what kind of... It's a band named Limp Biscuit putting it out. I wouldn't think too hard. I guess. You're right. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. This was was the the peak of Limp Biscuit's career. Well, they came out with the one before it that was really big, yeah, and then this was other. the yeah, yeah significant other. This was that huge follow up to that. Uh, what song you got picked off of there? Nothing. Me neither. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Also in the year two thousand, uh, mega successful pro wrestler Chris Jericho. Uh, he gets injured. He gets bad ankle injuries. Not able to wrestle for four months, so he forms a rock band. Oh, yeah, he did. Chris Jericho's awesome. I mean, you you know that I do the wrestling thing. Yeah. And I've been a fan of wrestling for a long time. Chris Jericho, 
one of my absolute favorites. So under the uh, persona of Mongoose McQueen, co-founded with Rich Ward of Stuck Mojo, this is kind of funny. Part of this band's gimmick originally was that they were, I mean, it's hard to explain. This band was a total gimmick. It's like yeah. Mongoose McQueen doesn't know who Chris Jericho is, right? So In interviews and stuff. up the whole character angle. Right. Yeah. And so, and Chris Jericho, well, hell, he's a huge fan of Fozzie. And I think you guys might be too. Check this one out. This was one of the, they did some covers on this album, but this was one of the originals that they did. This one of their, uh, their own. This one's called Feel the Burn. Feel the Burn. Talk about being one of the guys that was probably the only one to buy a CD in the year 2000 by these guys. That would have been me. It's pretty good for a wrestler. Doesn't match up with the guys, the wrestlers doing the songs on Pile Driver, though. <laughs> now, that was real music. Hulk Hogan well, and the Wrestling Boot Band. Exactly. That was real metal right there. Junkyard Dog busting out songs. Right. Yeah. No. Well, this that's was actually you know, really good. It's it, it's good, and and Fozzie only gets better from here. I mean, this the first album was kind of iffy. They. The record company, I believe, thought that you know they were going to cash in on Chris Jericho's wrestling popularity, yeah. but this album was a commercial bomb. I mean, it didn't even crack the top two hundred. Well, I'll admit, I as bought a, it as a general. I guess music, I was the only one. Well, I was totally out of the wrestling thing by this point, but as a general music fan, I didn't take it seriously either. Yeah, I was like, really, Mongoose McQueen? You're going to have a character name? <laughs> and I was just like, so I, I mean, I was Seemed like, a good idea. In I the was year like, two thousand. Most of the general public, I was like, nope, not going to even bother. But then hearing that, you know, that's actually pretty good. It is you know? good. And, 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 and they've gotten tell. better since. You, you know? can tell Jericho's uh, influences are in the right oh, place. Oh, yeah, he's a huge Kiss fan. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think the majority of people that were big into music at that time would have ever thought they'd still be around today. No. I thought it was nothing but a gimmick to make money, you know. See, I and I knew it was going to be a rock album, and I liked the wrestler Chris Jericho, so I bought it when it came out. Yeah. Apparently, I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he thanks you for your support. Awesome. Uh, well, here's one that a band uh, named Hammerfall that put out an album called Renegade on October 9th. Now, I'll say this go this is kind of a callback to an episode of another podcast we appeared on, Podcast Squared. Oh, yeah. Where Those guys' favorite band was Hammerfall. Yeah, one of the co-hosts' favorite band was Hammerfall, and that co-host that was interviewing us was like, what do you think of Hammerfall? And, we, and me and Aaron were like, well, we're kind of we don't really spot. know. Because yeah. we don't, you know, we hadn't really checked out their stuff. And I'm, I went back and checked this out. This was an album they put out that year, and this is the title track. 
I was pleasantly surprised by this, and uh, I got to give it up for them. This is Hammerfall. Power metal for you. There. That is pretty cool. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's not bad. I, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate the the power metal type stuff. I didn't really like it when I was younger, but the older I get, the more I kind of get into that stuff. It's like these are all the kids that used to listen to Maiden, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, and I was not a, admittedly, not a huge Maiden fan growing up, so I'm a late bloomer when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I, I really dig that. Check out some Hammerfall. Some of the other heaviest albums to come out in the year 2000, Corrosion of Conformity comes out with America's Volume Dealer. Uh, Kill Switch Engage, their self-titled. Spine Shank comes out with music in 2000. Nile, Cradle of Filth, Napalm Death, Halloween, and Lamb of God with New American Gospel. Some of the heaviest stuff come out in the year 2000. Yeah, some people think that's their uh, best material, Lamb of God. Um from what I've read on reviews, and you know, some of our, some of our uh, geek army is gonna be like, why didn't you play stuff off of that stuff? You know, but we you know we're not experts on that stuff, really. You know, maybe we'll go back into the archives and see what we were playing on the Decibel Geek podcast that, in the year two thousand. That's an idea. Maybe, maybe we, we were really that. into some of that heavy stuff back. Maybe then. we were. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some heavy stuff I've always been into. Lincoln Park, Megadeth. Oh, never mind. Oh, you go first. No, forget. It. I'm going first. Megadeth trumps Lincoln Park I'm not every day of the Lincoln week. Park Don't worry about. <laughs> <laughs> in the year 2000, Megadeth comes out with a greatest hits album called Capital Punishment. Capital oh. meaning Capital Records. Right, that's a total shot at Capital Records. Uh, Megadeth's leaving Capital, um, but they owe them one more album. They don't want to give them a new album. They want to save that for themselves in their next venture. So they say, okay, we'll do a best of, but we're going to throw in a couple of new songs. And this was one of those new songs. This was a single in the year 2000. They played this on radio, believe it or not, back then. This is Kill the King.
What a great tune. Megadeth killed the king from the year 2000. Now, you were mentioning something about Linkin Park. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of bands that came out in 2000 that, you know, were huge selling mega this platinum fantastic fans all over the world that we're not going to play today. <laughs> uh, Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory, perfect example of that. 24 million copies sold. And uh, I remember, I have a personal Linkin Park story, not that I knew him, but a girl that I knew here in Tennessee decided to go out to L.A. and pursue uh, a career in public like publicity for bands and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was just a big music fan, and she wound up being one of the early members of the team working with Linkin Park as they were still a club band in L.A. And I remember she, she came back to Tennessee after a couple of months of getting her ass kicked out there because it's, it's rough in L.A. Right. And, you know, there's no money to be made. And, but she got really close with those guys, and she came back. And I remember her telling all of us, this band, Linkin Park, is going to be huge. And literally within a month or two months... That's exactly what happened. I remember working at Z104 in Wisconsin and having the uh, program manager hand me the disc and say the same thing. Yeah. You're going to be playing a lot of this. These guys are going to be huge. And I listened to it. It was like, but why? You know? <laughs> it's so whiny. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go play some more tough. Yeah. And I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other bands like right along that that go along with Linkin Park. I mean, Limp Biscuit, like we said, Chocolate Starfish album. Green Day comes out with Warning in the year 2000. Yeah. Incubus has got music out. Evanescence. Uh, Finger Eleven was pretty big back then. Yeah, they were. <clears throat> Rage, Rage Against Machine comes out with Renegades. It was a cover album. It would be their last. That was it for, for a while, yeah. Uh, Tool comes out with the box set with Maynard's Dick on there. I really wanted to play that again <laughs> just because I love that song so much, but yeah. we've already played it not it too long ago. Yeah. I, w I would play it again. Well, one uh, one album that definitely got uh, sorely overlooked by a lot of people was the uh, album Ain't Life Ran by Slash's Snake Pit that came out that year. And, um, you know, Slash, Slash, if you haven't given it a shot, Check out all of Slash's material post Guns N' Roses. I think you'll, you'll be surprised by how good a quality the stuff is. I thought this one was pretty good in the year 2000, Ain't Life Grand, but I was really partial to the precursor to it, the uh, It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere. Yeah, that's There's good a too. different singer on that album than on this album. Right. And I, I like that singer a little bit better, but the music is all awesome. The guitar playing, well, it's Slash, it's so slash. of course it kicks ass. <laughs> and it's just it's high quality stuff. It's produced well, and it's uh, it's got a lot of good you know rhythm to it. And uh, this is a track off of Ain't Life Grand called "Been There Lately."
little barn burner for you right there. Yeah, it is. That's one of the better songs on that album. Another one off there I really like is a song called Speed Parade. Yeah, that's, that's good too. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I like the whole album. I like, you know, I like most of the stuff Slash has put out since uh, since the Use Your Illusion albums. Hard to believe it's been that long. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- well, in October, Napster and BMG Music announced a partnership that would change the website into a subscription-based service offering legal downloads. And Napster is just huge since then, right? Oh, yeah, Napster is just the biggest thing around nowadays, yeah. ain't it? Yeah, it really worked out <laughs> well for them, didn't it? <laughs> Getting sued by Metallica was their biggest yeah. claim to fame. That's the only, you say Napster nowadays, you don't think about the music downloading service. You think about, oh, those are the guys that yeah. got sued. Yeah, it did it did not work out well for those guys at all. So. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the year 2000, Kiss is inducted. Oh, wait, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not even the year 2000. They should have been inducted in the year 2000. Who is? Eric Clapton. Yeah, I can see that, I he guess. He deserves it. Put the rest of the guys from Cream in there, too. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, should they be in before Kiss? I don't think so. Really rock and roll? I don't think that's even really rock. I mean, then you got bands like The Love and Spoonful, you know, they were a rock band. I guess they deserve to be in there. I could agree with that. Yeah. Uh, the Moon Glows? I have no idea who, who that even is, that? is. Yeah, who are they? I mean, I've not even heard of this band. Deep and they're, Purple's they're not in, in there but the before. Moon Glows are. Right. Yeah, uh, Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor in the year 2000. Yeah. But James. not Kiss, not Deep Purple, not Rush, none of them. Ah, sad. Terrible. Sad. So now you know that this uh, whole Hall of Fame fuck-up deal, it's not something that's new. It's been going oh, on no, for a long time. Oh, no, it's not new. I've, I've hated them for years. All right, well... One band that's definitely not going to make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, although we'll just say they make Maybe it. Maybe they the, should. They make it into the Decibel Geek Hall of Fame. Absolutely, yeah, of course. You got to include Overkill. Overkill, they're one of them bands. You know, it's pretty cool. We get to play them a lot because guess what? They come out with albums all the time. This is their eleventh studio album. Funny, it's their lowest selling release. Really, they're in the year two thousand. I don't understand why it's a killer album. Straight up thrash metal. It's the only Overkill album not to sell ten uh, one hundred thousand copies. And that's Bloodletting. Bloodletting is their lowest selling. That's not bad though. You figure none of their albums have sold less than one hundred thousand copies except for one. If that's, you sold one hundred thousand copies now, Overkill. you'd be number one on the Billboard chart. Exactly. That's sad. Exactly. <laughs> so this uh, track off of Bloodletting, you're gonna love it. Crank it up nice and loud. This is Death comes out to play. Decibel Geek Army? You slimy scumbag, get on your face and give me 25. Join us on our fan page at facebook.com slash decibel geek.
proving to the world that Nashville is about more than banjo picking and sister banging. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. All right, folks, we're back in the year 2000. We're 2000 men. Yeah, 2000. Sounds gay. <laughs> Only when I say it, when Ace Frehley says it, it sounds cool. Yeah, well, you ain't Ace Frehley. Damn, Curly. Like <laughs> All right, so last time we were talking about the fall of the stars of the 90s, because, yes, it's the year 2000, and there's always, like, it seems to be a 10-year musical shift. Yep. And when we did the uh, episode on the year 2000, jeez, uh, uh, I'm all screwed up. When we did our episode on the year 1991, we were talking about the fall of those type bands, the party rock bands, right. what people like to call hair bands, and the rise of grunge. Yeah. You know, the bands that are big and popular in the early 90s. Well, here we are in the year 2000, and where are these bands now? Interesting way to very uh, interesting to check out what where yeah what happened to these huge bands. The ten year shift comes crashing down because in the year two thousand, Rage Against the Machine, Smashing Pumpkins, Candlebox, Screaming Trees, and Primus, all big bands in the early nineties, they're done. Well, they, br they break up in the year two thousand. Now don't forget the ultimate band from the nineties, Color Me Bad, broke up that year. Oh. And I think we should have a moment of silence for the disbanding of Color Me Bad. Really? Yeah. I go. don't think so. That's about enough of that. Okay, let's move <laughs> That's on. your moment. Um, of course, talk about the biggest bands of the early 90s, Nirvana. Of course, they're done by 94 with Kurt Cobain's Suicide. Pearl Jam, they, re uh, they released Binaural in 2000, which is their lowest album, uh, selling album up to that date. Right. Soundgarden, they're done by 97. Chris Cornell goes solo. Yeah. Uh, Soul Asylum, everybody remembers them from the early 90s. In 92, they come out with Grave Dancers Union. That's number 11 on the charts. By 98, their album's hitting 121, and it just kind of yeah, goes, they, they goes downhill. Quickly. Yeah, it goes downhill from there, but they're still around. Yeah, they are. Uh, here's a band that's not around, Blind Melon. They were big in the early 90s, so they're done in 95. Shannon Hoon overdoses. Stone Temple Pilots, man. Talk about on and off, <laughs> on and off, and on and off again. Opera. Split up in 97. They reunite in 99 and uh, come out with an album. They're doing okay in 2000, but it wouldn't last long. They'll split up in 2002. And, of course, one of my favorite bands of the early 90s, uh, Alice in Chains, They've been on hiatus since 96, and as it will turn out from the year 2000, they'll never record with Lane Staley again. Yeah. You know, there's your stars of the early 90s, you know, and you see now, you know, when you, in the early 90s, you know, when everyone said, oh, you know, those bands are done, grunge will live forever. Yeah. Well, it only lasts about 10 years. Yeah, and only a handful of them have come back from that. So it's, you know, and then and then look, Poison releases a new album in 2000. So, you know. Right, you know, and it, and that's cool because, you know, Alice in Chains, you know, they're still around. You know, they've got a new lead singer yeah. and everything. So these bands, you know, the good ones survive. You yeah. know, the ones that beyond overdoses and self-inflicted gunshot wounds, you know, are good bands. I mean, Pearl allegedly Jam. Allegedly self-inflicted. Oh, yeah, show. allegedly. <laughs> um, you know, these bands are still around because they're valid bands, whether they're grunge, hair bands, hard rock, thrash metal, it doesn't matter. Look at Overkill. I mean, those guys put out album after album Blue after collar. album, and people still buy them. Why? Because it's good music. Yeah. Well, so that's the way it goes. They've got their following, and they'll keep their following. 
Every 10 years, Until they do a hip-hop album, then they're screwed. Yeah, then they're fucked. Yeah. That's, never, that's never going to happen. <laughs> All right, well, we're into November, and you picked an interesting track off of uh, Marilyn Manson's Holy Wood album. Here's a band that was big in the early 90s that are still holding on pretty good. Uh, yeah, Marilyn Manson, they come out with Holy Wood in the shadow of the Valley of Death. What a great album cover. Creepy looking. This is uh, Marilyn Manson's fourth studio album. It's a concept album is what it is, and it takes a critical look at America's cultural obsession with firearms, death, and fame, and uh, its ramifications in respect to the Columbine tragedy, which just recently happened uh, in the year. Uh, yeah, this was sort right, of his rea- right. reaction to that. Right, because so many people had blamed him. They said that yeah. the kids that carried that out, that execution-style attack in that school, were big Marilyn Manson fans. Yeah. And, and so he kind of became the scapegoat. And which, you know, as we all know, is bullshit, just like the people that tried to say, you know, Ozzy Osbourne's music made, you know, somebody kill themselves or Judas Judas Priest. Priest, You know, it's all bullshit. You know, you can't blame music for real life problems. Music is an escape from real life problems, not a cause of it. Yeah. And until somebody can produce surveillance camera evidence of Marilyn Manson buying rounds and guns for these kids, then he's not responsible. Right. What happened to the parents? Exactly. You know, that's where the power lies, you know, with the parents. I have a kid. I take responsibility for my child. Yeah, I do too. You know, I don't expect Marilyn Manson to take responsibility for my child. That's a bad idea. You know, that's a very bad (laughs) idea. Don't let Marilyn Manson babysit your kids. (laughs) So in 2000, the result of this is an angry Marilyn Manson. And what we get is this album. It's the first studio album with John Five on guitar. It climbs number 13 on the U.S. charts in it. Did I mention earlier is angry? Try this one on for size. First single, Disposable Teens. Now that's how I like my Marilyn Manson. Pissed off. That's pretty heavy stuff. That's Marilyn. good. Yep. Marilyn Manson needs to get pissed off about something again. He should have been pissed off about the Backstreet Boys selling 1.6 million copies of that album that came out that year. I'm pissed. I'm still pissed. It's 12 years later. <laughs> and where are they? Yeah, exactly. See? Although they did just tour with new kids. That's yeah, talking about big albums of the year 2000, the top-selling albums, number one, NSYNC, number two, Eminem, number three, Britney Spears, number four, Creed. 
that counts. That was our, it was, that was it our was rock released. representation. Yeah, it was released it was in 99 at the end, so it counts in 2000. Uh, Carlos Santana, the Beatles with one, yeah. their, their uh, greatest hits deal. Uh, Nelly is in there at number seven. Nelly. The rapper. <laughs> um, number eight, Backstreet Boys. Nine, Dr. Dre. Ten, Destiny's Child. Not a lot of rock on that list. Remember in 91 when the top albums list had a bunch of rock bands in it? Oh, yeah. Creed. Quite is, a few. Creed, Creed is our representative this year, and to that I say no thank you. One of my favorite jokes was even Jesus hates Creed. <laughs> <laughs> top five singles of 2000, Madonna with music, Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again, U2, Beautiful Day, Robbie Williams, Rock DJ, and Bon Jovi, It's My Life. So And see, see folks, yikes. how much of that did we play today? Not None. Shit. None, None of it. Of it. So, and we never will. And we never will. That's why you come and listen to the show. All right. Well, all right. You've got the next pick. And Speaking. This is, this is something <laughs> you will not hear on the radio. <laughs> oh, no. You'll never hear this one on the radio. I love it. This is a great song It's right a great here. band name, too. Yeah, you got to love it. Uh, these guys came out. Let's see. Where's my notes? Where's my notes? I'm all backtracked here. Hang on. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's a world-class preparation, folks. <laughs> Absolutely. See, when you prepare, then you mess it up. Right. I know I do. <laughs> uh, Three-piece band formed in 1996 by Wednesday 13. Yep, that's the Wednesday 13 we've played here before, uh, famous for his solo stuff. And the Murder Dolls, these guys are formed in Landis, North Carolina. It's horror rock. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, with titles like They Only Want to Eat Your Brains and Back in Black, Eula. <laughs> Good time of year for this. Frankenstein drag queens from Planet 13 from the year 2000. Just like me. This one's called I Love to Say Fuck. Fucking A, man. I love me some Wednesday 13. Mission accomplished, Tipper Gore. All right. Way to go. <laughs> you really, really made a difference there. You really did. You helped us out a lot. Yeah. And your husband lost to George Bush in the election that year. Or did he? <laughs> or did or he? Or did he? Yeah. That's always going to be a question. Theories. Someday that might come out, but... Yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about that, even still to this day, about, you know, and, and being that the elections are coming up once again very shortly upon us. Yeah. Does your vote really count, America? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We don't deal in such subjects. I'm doing a write-in vote for Lemmy. Yeah? yeah? I guess I probably should, too. There's nobody else worth voting for besides Lemmy, so you might as well. Um, year 2000, talk about births and deaths. Or, well, we didn't really gain a lot because it's only well, the year 2000 you know or we got a lot of rock 12 year old rock stars out there well not that we know of yet the only birth i are. could found of note 
And not really of note was Willow Smith, the daughter of Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> well, like I said, we didn't gain much, but we, we lost we quite lost a few. Some, yeah. um, Dave Peverett, uh, Foghat lead singer and guitarist, succumbs to cancer in the year 2000. Screaming Jay Hawkins. Yeah. Love the, that the guy. The inventor of shock rock. Exactly. Uh, he gets knocked away by an aneurysm. However, he does leave behind many children with many different women. <laughs> Yeah, Estimated fifty-five to seventy-five children with sure. a variety of different women all over the world. He put a spell on a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, Dennis Donnell, uh, guitarist from Social Distortion, sadly uh, gets hit with an aneurysm out of nowhere and knocks him out of the world. Um, Benjamin Orr, the bassist and vocalist of the Cars, he's got pancreatic cancer and it does him in in the year two thousand. He's known best for songs like uh, Just What I Needed and Drive yeah, from drive, the Cars. Yeah, Drive that was, was his, the one I mostly remember. Yeah, that was yeah. his big singing solo type song with the Cars. Yeah. Um, here's one interesting. Scott Smith, you know, not to make light of it, he's the bassist of Loverboy, not a decibel geek band. But I included this because of his strange way of dying. He was lost at sea in shark-infested waters off the coast of San Francisco. Yeah. What a rock and roll way to go, huh? Imagine if he had been the basis for great white how ironic that would be bad joke but you know the thing is when you, if you're a bassist in a lame-ass band like Loverboy, you <laughs> have to die in a fantastic way like being eaten by sharks yeah, it's very spinal tapish and uh the last one i can think of that we lost in the year 2000 was joe c from the kid rock band you got you remember joe yeah, c the little, little guy little dude he had uh coliatic disease which made him that way and uh 60 pills a day that dude had to take is that all that's yeah. That's it. Six. <laughs> oh, I suppose in two thousand you were out doing that by what forty? That was that was that was breakfast. <laughs> I don't mean to make but, uh, little guys. Dance. Hats off to all those yeah, that we yeah. lost in the year two thousand. A bunch of rock and rollers, and uh, they'll be sadly missed. So, and for the rest of you, someday in the far distant future, if you're twelve years old right now, get your shit in gear, start <laughs> practicing your guitars, so that when we do year two thousand re revisited in the year, I don't know, two thousand twenty. Then you can be on this list. Yeah, so we, we get will, your shit together. We will put our dentures in and get on the mic. <laughs> I don't understand, kid, these days. I don't need all this newfangled metal and shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. I remember the year 2000 where things were much more simple. Yeah, I do too. Okay. All right, what do we got left? We man? got a, we got a play out song, and uh, I'll I do think it. we did good. Oh yeah, I think we did too. I'll we really we really dug deep to get some good songs. We for did. The year we hope you enjoyed it. We definitely researched our asses off for this for yeah, these two did. shows, and uh, got lots of exciting stuff coming up in the future. Some uh, really cool interviews with some people. I know we haven't done a big interview in a while. But we've got we're, we've got a lot of stuff in the works right now. That's right. You can always check us out at our website, which is dbgeekshow.blogspot.com Wouldn't it be hilarious if I started screwing it up? I'm it's hoping like, you do. You're going to pass on a curse to me. Uh, Facebook.com slash decibelgeek. Like the page, guys. Share the li- Share the link with people. Tell people about the show. You know, we rely on you to help us get the word out because we have no advertising money. Maybe exactly. one of these days. And also, in the hopefully near future, possibly, Decibel Geek t-shirts. Maybe on the way soon. Let us know if you want it. Yeah. Let us know. Ask and ye shall receive. All right. Well, we got one. Oh, more. hey, what's our catchphrase? Uh, building a local music scene with a worldwide audience. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah, we are. See, I stopped doing all the drugs so I can remember some <laughs> of this stuff. So, oh, yeah. that's the key, huh? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm not taking the right ones. I don't know. But uh, we got one more to play. And uh, this was a. this didn't come out in December. This came out in October. But this song 
And I had a hard time picking this, this one a, song yeah, off this album. The CD, the whole thing was cool. I mean, Ozzy was on there, Brian May, Phil Anselmo, Ian Asbury, Peter Steele from Typo Negative, yep. Dave Grohl, Henry Rollins did a really killer song on there, and a this whole was, lot more. But This was the metal version of what Santana did that year. This was Tony Iommi with a whole cast of special guest singers. Yeah, this was the guy that should have been winning the fucking Grammys in the year 2000, damn it. All right, we're going to end the show with this track. This is Tony Iommi with Billy Corgan on vocals doing Black Oblivion. Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You.